0: Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Nearly 100 years ago, a group of men were part of an experiment. They collaborated on a newspaper, they played together in a jazz band, and they sat through college courses. But the men were not your typical students. They were prisoners at Norfolk State Prison Colony in Massachusetts.
1: Prison and institutionalization can really function as a place to rehabilitate people.
0: Elizabeth Hinton is the author of the book From the War on Poverty to the War on Crime.
1: So that people can reflect on the choices they made to to get them into prison in the first place, but also to kind of provide different sets of opportunities so they can go on to become productive members of society.
0: Hinton is also an associate professor of history and African and African-American studies at Harvard. And she says nearly a century later, there's a strong argument for bringing education and enrichment back to prisons.
1: There's never been a prison population like the one we have in the history of the world.
0: Even though we've got less than 5% of the people on Earth, we've got nearly 25% of the prisoners. And that's expensive. Prisons siphon billions away from healthcare, education, infrastructure. Elizabeth Hinton says this huge prison population also leads to an important question.
1: Because we are such a large incarcerator, how can we provide people who have served time? real resources, comprehensive opportunities in order to realize a second chance, or maybe even for many people who are incarcerated, a a real first chance. In
0: Germany, which has reinvented prison to focus more on getting inmates back into society, lots of classes are offered to prisoners. And just one in three of those released from prison are rearrested within three years. Here, the Department of Justice reported that a large-scale study in 2005 showed what happens in America after three years. Instead of one in three former inmates getting rearrested, like in Germany, almost three in four former inmates are rearrested. And when almost everyone who goes out the door ends up coming back in, that's expensive. In the past few weeks, we've seen some strange bedfellows on the issue of education and rehabilitation for prisoners, including Jared Kushner, President Trump's advisor and son-in-law, and many Democrats. Elizabeth Hinton from Harvard says the effect that education can have on prisoners is underestimated, as she heard at a recent conference with men who got their college degrees in prison.
1: One man said, the best day of my life and the worst day of my life was when I received my B.A. because it was the best of my life I received my B.A., but it was the worst day of my life because I could no longer take continue taking classes. Huh.
0: Her argument is that we should make prisons more like colleges. It would be better for prisoners, for society— and for our wallets.
1: People who are incarcerated in the United States also represent typically people who are undereducated. So actually, even more so than race, for all of the kind of gross racial disparities in our criminal justice system, if you education is a far greater predictor of incarceration than race. So if you're a white man without a high school diploma, you are much more likely to end up in prison than a black man with one. And so we can think, OK, here's a group of people who have been, for a number of reasons, systematically denied access to education and unable to support themselves and survive in the formal economy. So we can use the reality of incarceration as an opportunity to address that undereducation and to begin to provide new opportunities for people to use different parts and, and realize different talents for themselves. And there's been many studies done, uh, most notably by the RAND Corporation in 2013, that really demonstrates the impact of educational programs on lowering recidivism rates. So people who have access to educational opportunities while incarcerated are 43% less likely to recidivate.
0: hmm I wonder where the issue of sort of Punishment plays in here because I think a lot of people feel like, look, if this person broke into my house or this person beat up this other person or whatever, they shouldn't go to uh, prison and like get educated and join a jazz band. They should go to prison and be punished for breaking into this house or, you know, doing this bad thing that they did. Um, How do you reconcile those two things of people wanting to say, This is, you know, somebody who did something bad and they should they should be punished for it, not, you know, have a great college like experience.
1: You know, one of the responses that I got to some of my writing in The New York Times on this issue is, okay, so if my daughter robs a bank, does that mean she can get a free college education? And that's not that logic is just doesn't make any sense. So the question is. What kind of citizens, what kind of society do we want to build? Do we want to deny people access to certain rights like education, like contact with their families, like human touch from loved ones um, because of crimes they've committed? I think that we're beginning to have a national conversation acknowledging the misguided policies of the war on drugs and the, the, the decision to criminalize people who are addicted to drugs and, um, and and drug abuse. And so taking all of this into account, again, I think that we need to maybe go back to those earlier models where punishment was not seen or where incarceration was not seen as, as you know, um, retributive punishment, but more as a space where people could be rehabilitated and then return to society, even better human beings.
0: So it sounds like you're saying even if we stepped up the number of algebra classes and poetry classes that were being offered... Just by being in prison, that's a huge punishment, no matter how much algebra you're taking. Yes. Yes. Okay. There's, there,
1: there's no question that, you know, d- despite what um, some episodes of shows like Orange is the New Black might show, there's nothing that's fun. Anybody who's incarcerated would tell you that being in prison is not a joyful, fun experience.
0: You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Elizabeth Hinton, an associate professor of history and African and African-American studies at Harvard, and she wants to rethink the way prisons are run. You mentioned Germany. Let me bring that up because um, we have this kind of model in our mind of what prison looks like, prison in America looks like. Um, But you've got countries that are wildly different. And in Germany, uh, inmates can decorate the rooms as much as they want. They have courses That sound a little bit like summer camp, but painting, pottery, yoga, soccer, crocheting. And as I mentioned, in some ways they save a lot of money because um, many people never come back to prison. They have much, much lower rates of people getting rearrested within three years than we do. Have we learned anything from either models within this country or other countries about like – how you reduce the numbers of people that are coming back. Are there better ways of doing prison, even just on a money level, than we are doing it?
1: I hope that we are beginning to look at places like Germany and Norway and Sweden and Israel as models that could be implemented in the U.S. And I think that there are some private foundations like the Vera Institute of Justice who are beginning to, to, to do these studies and implement and use what we've seen in Germany and other places is a model um, in in the U.S. I you know, th- to a certain extent, um, the our our own history of of slavery and racism here, I think, really, really shapes the way that we envision punishment and and human rights in general. So one of the things and this this happens when you're in prison, but also um, after you're, re- you're released. I mean, this is the new Jim Crow aspect of mass incarceration is that you lose a certain amount of human of your rights as a human being so that you can't, you, 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 you aren't some materials are not allowed in the prison. Mm-hmm. Some things you can't put up on the walls. Uh, you can only be out depending on the, on the level of security of the prison and, you know, your own kind of record of behavior within the prison. You can't be out of yourself or, um, more than an hour a day, um, in some places. So I, I think it's in order for us to really embrace that kind of, uh, inclusive rehabilitative model, we're going to really have to kind of shift our views about what punishment should be and what the purposes of our prisons are.
0: So if a governor or a federal official said to you, you know, I hear you, that, that all sounds really good. I, I'm a little worried, though, about making this case to my constituents because I'm worried they'll say I'm soft on crime and, um, you know, I'm giving yoga classes and and calculus classes to, to people who are incarcerated. Uh, how could I make this case to people in a way that uh, might give these policies an actual shot?
1: Well, first of all, I I mean, offering not only higher education, educational programs in prison and comprehensive reentry services is cost effective because it lowers the recidivism rate. It's much cheaper to educate people than to incarcerate people. So So ideally
0: you get to dial back on the number of prisons you have or the number of inmates you have to take care of. Right,
1: exactly. It saves hundreds, millions of taxpayers' dollars um, investing in these kind of uh, programs for people who are incarcerated. So one, it's, it's, it's cost effective. I think one of the biggest challenges we have in general is the ways in which we have decided to allocate resources. And over the past 50 years, and this is, the, this is part of what I cover in my book, there's been a real disinvestment from social welfare programs and an investment in uh, police and prisons and surveillance measures. And so part of it is thinking about what would a crime prevention program look like that actually invested in underserved and under-resourced public schools in the first place that might give people opportunities and open up minds in a way that would lead them out, you know, to to a totally different path that doesn't involve informal economies or, um, or what's seen as crime. So I think part of it is we've got to have a more comprehensive crime prevention program um, in terms of actually beginning these programs, a lot of governors, including most notably um, Andrew Cuomo in New York, have you know faced a lot of resistance. And mm-hmm. I think that, again, in terms of our values as a nation, unfortunately, I think it's going to be very difficult for these types of programs, educational programs and prisons, to really take off until we begin to rethink our educational system and higher education as a whole. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, in some Western European countries where everybody can... can go to college and and continue their education after completing what's equivalent to their high school diploma. And and until we begin to fund and offer that for everybody, it's going to be very difficult um, to get the kind of political will that will be necessary to implement these programs on a widespread basis in our nation's um, prisons.
0: One of the incredible things in doing research for this segment was I looked at how much uh, a prisoner costs per year in California. It costs about $75,000 to incarcerate somebody, which happens to be almost exactly the tuition of Stanford University, which is also, of course, in California. Um, And it's just this incredible thing that college – this isn't true in every state. Different states have different costs for incarcerating people. But it's incredible that in some states, the cost of college and the cost of prison – It's really almost exactly the same, even though those are are very different experiences.
1: Right. And states like California, my home state of Michigan, Georgia, spend more money incarcerating people than they do on the public school system. So, again, this is a real value shift in the U.S. that I think we've really come to this kind of fiscal disaster with our punishment system and law enforcement in general. And unless we really rethink and shift our priorities, this is it, it's going to continue to be kind of the engine of of inequality in the U.S.
0: What do you see as the direction here? Are there you mentioned Andrew Cuomo mm-hmm. in New York, the governor of New York, um, as having pushing for more education in prison. What do you see? Is there a trend amongst governors? Do you see certain states moving towards this or is this still too taboo like you know, you got to offer things to people who haven't committed a crime before you get to the people who have.
1: I think one of the things that is really promising is that colleges and universities are increasingly stepping up to fill this void and kind of begin to redistribute some of the resources that they have. And I think faculty are really interested in, in teaching people who are incarcerated and kind of recognize that because mass incarceration is you know what some say is a civil rights issue of our time, you know are really trying to use their expertise to fix it and and because of the restrictions that have been in place since the enactment of the nineteen ninety four crime bill, it has really been a private led effort, and so I think that we're beginning to see elite you know, universities, Princeton, Yale, hopefully Harvard, stepping up to begin to offer these kinds of classes, and I think that will continue. I fear that if it doesn't, and I think this is part of the reason why some conservative policymakers are supporting re- um, reinstating Pell Grants for prisoners, is that there's a lot of money to be made in educating people who are incarcerated. So Global Tel Link, or GTL, which operates the majority of the um the telecommunication. So when people who are incarcerated call home, um, spending like $8 for a minute hmm. to talk to their family. So it's a very exploitive and extractive industry. They are, they're already beginning to kind of get in the prison education market and are developing tablets that have thousands of books uploaded onto them so that people who are incarcerated can take online classes. And so I think that there's a strong lobby industry there, and because there's all this potential profit to be made because of the sheer number of people we do incarcerate, unless colleges and universities step up to kind of take control over educational offerings in prison, it will become the kind of common denominator um, for prof- a for-profit enterprise that, again, won't really bring the kinds of returns or lead to the kinds of transformations that I think that we would ultimately like to see.
0: Elizabeth Hinton is a scholar. She's written about prisons in America. We will link to her article in the New York Times at our website, innovationhub.org. She's an associate professor of history and African and African-American studies at Harvard. Elizabeth, thanks so much for being here. It's
1: wonderful to, to speak with you.
0: NYU, by the way, is a leader in prison education. They actually have a partnership with a nearby prison, which allows inmates to get their writing printed in an NYU newspaper. More about that is also at innovationhub.org.